All right. We're talking injury prevention on the show today. My guest is Joe McConkie. He's an exercise physiologist and running coach who specializes in injury prevention. And we are talking about his book, Pliability for Runners, the breakthrough method to stay injury-free, get stronger and run faster. Whether you're a runner or not, you're going to get value out of this episode because many of you may know I used to be a bit really big into running marathons and all of that. And I haven't been doing that in the last few years, but this still this um, episode very much impacted me in, in terms of thinking about injury prevention and how proactive I'm being about that. So I think it will impact you guys too. Um, a little bit more about Joe. Uh, he's worked th- with the full spectrum of running athletes from first time runners to marathoners around the world to Olympic athletes at the elite high altitude training camps of Ethiopia and Kenya. He has coached at the club, college and pro levels and has been the director of the Boston Running Center's Gate Analysis Lab for more than a decade. So this guy knows his stuff. <laughs> really awesome to have him on the show and be able to learn from him and pick his brain and just see how he thinks about things. You'll see sometimes I ask him questions and he's like, uh, I don't really think about it like that. I, I love that. <laughs> I love being able to get um, these insights that I just wouldn't even know to ask. So yeah, he's awesome. He holds the highest accreditation by the USA Track and Field Association and the IAAF, as well as a master's in exercise science with a focus on injury prevention and sports performance. So um, if you want to get his book, we'll link it up in the show notes, or you can just check Amazon for, or wherever you get your books for pliability for runners by Joseph McConkie MS. All right, let's go ahead and dive in. Here is Joe McConkie. Okay. So Joe, you've had quite the the background in running, um, being a running coach and exercise physiologist. You've worked, um, from what I've read from all the way from beginners to a pro level, um, you've done the high altitude training camps in Ethiopia and Kenya. I mean, you've been around the block on this stuff. So I'm really excited to learn from you today. Um, and for my audience too, if anybody's yeah. watching on YouTube, um, I'm holding up Joe's book. It's pliability for runners, the breakthrough method to stay injury free, get stronger and run faster. Um, and so that's my first question for you. I mean, like, wow, like you've taught so many different aspects of running. How come you wrote a book on pliability? That's a, that's a good question. You know, it, it takes a lot of time to put together a book Mm -hmm. and when you've been doing what I've been doing for so long, you know, there's many different books that you could write, right? But I feel like this was one topic that was not really well represented, and it's also something that I have found over the years has made the biggest difference with my runners, and is also sort of a unique approach to getting healthy, staying healthy, and being able to run for a long time. So I felt it was something that I hadn't really seen out there. And I had enough years of seeing its benefits with my runners that that's, that all came together to motivate me to say, Hey, I want to get this message out there. Mm. Wow. All right. Let's dive in. I mean, most people know what the word pliable means, but in terms of the human body, can you describe what you mean by pliability? Yeah. Yeah. If you have, you know, if you have good pliability, then, you know, the, the simple test is to hop on the foam roll 
uh, high density foam roll, put all your body weight targeted on one belly of a muscle of the calf or the quad or the hamstring or glute or something. And if there's good pliability, then it's malleable and there's no sort of tension or discomfort or pain from that. And so when that happens, that means there's good circulation and we're not storing inflammation. When that doesn't happen, the reverse is going on. And a lot, you know, folks who don't do it regularly, but maybe do it once a week, they hop on the foam roll and they feel, oh, I feel like this is, you know, there's some tension there. It's not very comfortable, but it's a good kind of tension. And, you know, I feel like this is helpful. And so they roll around for five or 10 minutes or something. And that's it. That's the extent that they're going to kind of explore pliability where if you can kind of stick with the habit and, and do it in, in, a, in, in an effective way, we can get into that later. Then you can start to learn, hey, wait a minute. I can have a body that's always loose, that feels nothing on a foam roll, but is also very strong, right? And so that's kind of a, a learning process. There is here's what pliability is and here's what you can achieve if you stick to a new habit for you know at least two or three weeks. A lot of times people won't do that, but until they do, you don't really know how pliable you can get. And I so, think if you do that as a cornerstone, then then the this kind of resets your training program. So um, how do you recommend people implement this as a regular part? Do you have them do it before training, after training, and completely outside of training? How long, you know, like what are kind of your recommendations in terms of how to fit this into your daily routine? Yeah, I mean, typically if it's not a regular part of your life, then I really like folks to just kind of dedicate a month to improving their pliability. And if that's the main goal, then there's no wrong time to do it. You got to do it whenever you can, because mm-hmm. if you do it well, uh, then the more the merrier, you can do it every two hours. Right. And you'll notice you're just going to improve a lot quicker. So I don't want people to be stuck. Say, oh, I don't have time before or after do it whenever you can. However, it is certainly helpful, helpful to do before you run because it's going to set you up for best chance of success, particularly if you have uh, imbalances um, and you work on those imbalances just prior to running. It's certainly good to do after you run because now you have your circulation moving around from your run. So it's going to be easy to move and manipulate that a little. Um, so again, there's no wrong time. But if you had a big one, I would say before, then after, and then any other time you can fit it in. Okay. You kind of hit on this a little bit already, but what leads to a lack of pliability and then how does the foam roller help? Let's go a little deeper into that. Yeah. I think the lack of pliability happens because we are not as active as maybe we naturally could be or as active as we were when we were younger, where we're out moving around all the time. And so we go do our activity of running or whatever it may be. And then we're sedentary for a lot of the day. And if we're not countering that with good regular increases from your runs, and then the tension increases, and then the tension kind of results into, into injuries if it's not taken care of in or just early fatigue. So I think, you know, by having, you know, lacking certain habits, um, that's how it kind of starts to accumulate over the course of one's life. Bad postural habits, not enough activity, um, and not and not having a good pliability habit in place. So, and then in terms of the foam roll, foam roll is just a device. I don't subscribe. You don't always have to use a foam roll. You can use one. 
you can use, uh, you know, your balls, you can use your hands. I always prefer the hands. The hands are going to give you a lot more feedback. Um, you know, whatever device or whatever you're using, you know, the concept is for, for me, and it, like I talk about in the book, uh, you know, what's the purpose to what we're doing here with the pliability? It's to try to clear out inflammation and increase uh, pliability. So, you know, through our practice and working with other uh, uh, outfits and, and uh, physical therapists and massage therapists, you know, we kind of found a certain sort of easy structure that folks can use when they want to work on their pliability where you are taking your foam roll or whatever device you have, and you're really kind of compressing that muscle between two hard surfaces, the foam roll and a bone. So you find that kind of tight area, the tightest area of the muscle. We're trying to hone in on like the square inch or square centimeter of the muscle. Typically it's going to be in the middle of the muscle, the belly muscle. That's what takes on the most force. So you are finding that spot. Once you have it, you are sitting on it and you're compressing that area between those two hard surfaces. And what you're doing, you're kind of suffocating the area. You're causing a restriction, like putting a, a tourniquet down around your leg. And that causes a lot of circulation to accumulate. Then when you release that pressure, you get a blood rush to come through. That helps metabolize the inflammation and that creates this kind of free flowing river. So instead of rolling or on a ball or foam roll back and forth, it feels good. But is it really producing that blood rush that creates that new river, right? And, and most of the time it doesn't. And a lot of times, you know, the rolling back and forth or taking a Theragun, those things feel good, feel like something happened. But long-term, we didn't make this kind of constant change there in the circulation. And we didn't really clear out the inflammation that we could have if we had this more sustained held sort of pressure. So there's other little nuances with kind of the technique there that's discussed in the book. So yeah, whether it's a foam roll, whatever, you're using, you know, 10 times five seconds of that kind of five seconds on one to two seconds off. And now you're like, okay, this is only 75 seconds, right? But if you do it well, and you do that every day, you notice every day is better. And at the course of a week or two, you're a different person. And so it doesn't have to be a big time suck, but it certainly has to be daily to make it a kind of new and constant thing. And that doesn't last forever. It's kind of, you're doing it daily, as long as you are progressing and getting faster or running farther, doing more with the body. Cause during that time you're sculpting your body into a new animal, new state of fitness. So during that time, you have to constantly be doing the pliability work. Once you get to that high fitness level, and now you're kind of peak performance period of whatever it may be, six or eight weeks at the end of a season, then you'll notice that you have built this armor, this soft armor that it's hard to nick right? It's hard to, for something to work in there now. So now your pliability practice is once a week of popping around and say, Hey, there's nothing going on, but that could take six months to get to that point. Mm. Yeah. Thank you for describing all that. Um, in your book, you talk a lot about posture, right? And what leads our everyday posture and what leads to these injury. You know, I, I ran for a long, long time. Um, yeah. Good 20 years of my life was hardcore running, you know, and so I'm familiar with like you get the I would always get the, you know, the same injury patterns just from my my own posture, my own lack of awareness back then I was just like a recreational runner I wasn't a trainer yet, you know, <laughs> so mm -hmm. um, can you talk about how mm -hmm. our daily patterns and posture impact how we show up and running. I know it's kind of hard. There's a lot of places you could go with that, but just in general, what people might want to be aware of. Well, it's, it's, we are a product of our habits and, you know, I see folks and 
I can tell already what they kind of do for their habits. Um, you know, they come in and, and for instance, I'll have maybe athletes or bikers come in and their posture is kind of contorted to the bike. And now they're running with this kind of anterior pelvic tilt and their head's tilted back as they're kind of leaning forward type of thing. Or certainly people at a desk will also assume that kind of concave posture there. And then some folks with work that is asymmetrical whether they're carrying something, manual labor type of stuff or musicians, you know, they kind of contort themselves to the instrument and all that works, of course, into your posture. And when you're running, you know, you just want to get from A to B. So your natural tensions work in there and say, hey, this is the easiest way that I can do it. So we're, we're certainly a product of, of our habits. And, you know, I've had folks who come in and they are aware of this and they are aware that they need to have good posture and they're working on it. They say they're working on it at a time, but then I watch them walk and say, no, 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 you're not really working on it. I mean, it takes, it takes daily focus for months to really have it locked in because without that kind of trigger, say, okay, wait, here's the right posture. Well, first they have to know what that is. Right. And mm -hmm. you know, we're, uh, that's a whole nother subject there, but once we've assumed good posture, that's great in that moment. But what about when we sit down for a phone call? Or what about when we're doing something else and we get triggered by an email or something? And now we're contorted down for an hour from some stress incident, right? So it's, it takes constant awareness for a long time for it to really work into your body. And, and I think it's also something I have folks, runners, kind of use their mile markers. Say every mile, I'm going to make sure and do a body check and make sure that my posture is good. And there's probably going to be a change, shoulders back, head up a little bit, lifting the ribs out of the chest. Those things kind of happen. And you're like, oh, there's my good posture, right? Then the next mile mark comes down and you have to do it again because it slipped, right? Yeah. That's fine. That's well and good. You do it again. Over time, you get to the point, hopefully, where you get to the mile marker and you don't have to make a big change. But it takes will. It takes thought. And then it takes a physical change. And then if you do that, the act of running each step is now kind of like strength training for your spine and for your, and for your posture, all the little postural muscles now are working a little bit differently when you give conscious adjustment to it. So the longer you can hold on to it, the stronger you're kind of making those muscles to support that posture such that soon you won't have to do conscious adjustment stuff. It's already in there. So that's harder to do when you're fighting, you know, a desk position all day, and then you go out and run but it does take, it's possible. It just takes kind of a constant reminder. It takes work. And certainly if you have hypertensions and you hit the foam roll and you're on your upper back and you're on your shoulders type of thing, and you feel that the more you can take care of there, it's going to be easier for you to hold that posture while you're running. Yeah. I, when I first, you know, got into the training world, my posture was so awful, right? <laughs> Like I was like a stay at home mom with babies for a decade. Right. So I had this really forward, you know, rounded shoulders. And when I like started practicing good posture, I was like, I feel ridiculous. Like, I feel like I'm like standing, like, like really ridiculous, but I'd look at it, you know, I'm in a picture and I'm like, no, that looks normal. Like what feels normal to you looks ridiculous. Isn't that you know, funny? It's so true. Yeah. <laughs> and then it, it took a, a lot minor, a minor change and all of a sudden yeah 
Yeah. And what I noticed too, is like, you know, my pecs, yeah. my pec minor and all of that were so tight from so many years of that. Like it was very helpful for me to get some soft tissue work done and like loosen everything up. So I actually could hold my shoulders back. Cause it was actually like a, it was almost like a doing an isometric hold, you know, because everything was so tight in the front, you know, and I see that a lot. I'm sure you do too. I see, you know, that's just kind of yeah. the nature of humans is if like we're just sitting around, we just kind of start to slump like that. And especially with phones and computers and all of these things that kind of guide us in that direction. I see that a lot. And what's yeah. hilarious is as you start to work on it, people were like, wow, you look so confident. And you're like, I'm just trying, I'm just practicing posture right now, but that's good to know that it's like working, you know, yeah. cause if you really do. Right. right. <laughs> well, just to your point, you feel that your, your chest was, you know, gets tight and that causes you to have rounded shoulders. And so you feel like you have to do this kind of work here. So it's kind of, are we going to strengthen that opposite muscle to hold the posture and make it to be really tight? Or are you going to soften and loosen that front part, right? So that they don't, do, they don't do work as hard. So that's, that's kind of my route is to the pliability first before you start engaging extra effort. Yeah, exactly. I, I always, you know, in terms of strength training, I, I see that constantly, right? Like in a lot of, I mean, especially men, I think because they do so many bench presses and these things and they're kind of, it's kind of dysfunctional and it's getting all in their front delts and just this whole area of their pec minor and their pecs and their front. It's just like this glob. And then they, it's yeah. like, you know, they, they don't, they have hardly any external rotation, definitely very little internal rotation of the shoulder. And then they're trying to do all these back workouts. And I'm like, man, if you could work on that, like you can actually get way more results on your back because this isn't just pulling it into this yeah. lengthened position back there all the time, you know, and you're right. It starts with the pliability, like instead yeah. of just trying to brute force, it's just not going to work. Your body's just going to continue to go into that yeah. comfortable pattern as you were describing before. Yeah. It's a long path. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah. In terms of run, like I know for runners listening, like, I mean, like they're thinking, I, I'm thinking of all the common things, right? We've got the, the tight it bands. We've got the knee pain. We've got the ankles. We got the shins, maybe high hamstring pulls, glute issues, you know, um, could you maybe talk about some of the more common issues with pliability that you see, like, a, it's like, oh yeah, this is a big one. And you know how you might address some of those things or what leads to some of those things that people might not be aware of. Well, most injuries for non-beginners, uh, and even non-beginners, it's probably still the majority, but most injuries are unilateral one side only, right? It's one knee or one of those ankles right? Normally it's that 80% of the time. And there's been studies that, that show how, how that's numbers actually more closer to 90%. But in my experience, 80% of our injuries are going to be on one side only. And so then if you look closer and you peel back the layers, why are we stressing one side of the body differently than the other? Then we start to take a, a look at posture and we start, start to take a look at soft tissue poles and can balances with your hypertensions in your body. And that, you know, normally results in some sort of, most often it's the hip obliquity. One hip is dropped or rotated differently on one side more than the other. Now they're running. And so one leg is maybe externally rotated more than the other. 
or has a different range of motion and or the body leans over one leg more than the other. So there's different angles going into the hip, right? And so that all comes back to, you know, the posture of the, of the back and the hip and the soft tissue muscles that are supporting that posture are those symmetrically strong and symmetrically pliable. Most of the time, not. Now we're talking definitely 90% of the time, they're not. So the, if we want to avoid the majority of injuries, our first goal is to make sure that we are, our muscles are symmetrically loose and symmetrically relaxed. They might end up being symmetric, asymmetrically strong if we have a more permanent issue going on, like we have a structural leg length difference or we have scoliosis, that type of thing. Okay, then we might be loading one leg asymmetrically. There's no way to get around it. However, even in those situations, we still are on one leg at a time. We're still running on one leg at a time. So you got to make sure that you are symmetrically healthy, meaning symmetrically loose and relaxed and pliable. So, you know, that's kind of generally speaking, that's the route that I would go to avoid the majority of injuries. If you're doing that and say, okay, I'm zero to two out of 10 tension, 10 is the worst, and I'm zero to two on a high density formal on a hardwood floor, and it's symmetrical from including the lower back and all the way down, it's going to be hard for an injury to come in there. And if it does, it's probably because maybe you neglected checking in on your body as often as you need to right right now, or, you know, at the beginning, it takes daily work, but it always takes kind of daily check-ins. If everything's healthy, it takes 60 seconds to pop around your body and make sure everything's still feeling good, right? But if you skip that a few days and you go do a hill workout or you go do a track workout and you hit some speeds you're not used to and you neglect to go check the ramifications of that, now what was a zero to two is a three to four or four to five. You didn't really address it because you didn't find it. And now you go out for your next run and now you just had 6,000 steps of an easy run on that asymmetry. And now it starts to work there and now it's harder for you to reverse. So, you know, I think that's kind of the best path is generally just having the habit, getting to symmetry, and then holding on to it for dear life through your training. Mm. Yeah, guilty. <laughs> that's definitely. No, it's, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's easier said than done. I understand that for sure. Yeah, it, it can sneak up on you. And I definitely notice, I'm, I'm curious, like, um, in terms of seeing like, tension patterns on people's bodies, you know, like, and maybe, maybe some of the listeners are aware of these kind of things. Like, yeah, I get a lot of right side injuries or I have, you know, upper cross syndrome or whatever. Could you talk about just your experience with like, um, just tension patterns on one side of the body or the other. And like where you see those typically it's, it's always kind of a chicken and an egg, right? It's like, whoa, is the ankle? Is it the toe to the ankle to the knee? Wait, where did this start? Is the shoulder contributing to the hips or, you know, can you talk yeah. about some of these common, or just yes. what you've experienced in terms of those kind of tension patterns? Yes. Yep. Most of the time it's a top to bottom thing because most of the time the postural issues are from between the shoulders and the hips, right? So. Nine times out of 10, that's the issue, particularly as runners. We, and, you know, assuming that, uh, you know, there's not some uh, sudden thing like you rolled an ankle on a rock type of thing. Most of the time, it's going to be between the shoulders and the, and the hips. And therefore, the tension pattern will, you know, and I'll see it start in the, in the shoulder, in the back from some other injury. 
But because of that, they're now flinging their right arm differently than the left, which is causing the upper body to rotate asymmetrically, which makes the upper body drift over one leg a little differently than the other. And then that works itself into the hip and all the way down the leg. But it really came because of that right shoulder injury from 20 years ago type of thing. And they didn't really know it until they started increasing their running. So it's almost always a top to bottom thing. I would say, generally speaking, though, uh, you know, lower back and glutes are, are the kind of most common areas where if you're having an issue, there's probably an asymmetry there. Those are our big, strong muscles that support the posture of the hip. And then from there, we'll go to the hip flexor, and then we'll go to the hamstring, quad, calf, and down. So that's normally the, the route that you go. So, you know, a lot of times folks will have a calf issue or a shin issue or a foot issue, and they will do everything they can to fix that source of pain. But because they never took care of the higher issue and the other muscles that are contributing, it's just going to keep coming back and or something else is going to break down. So it's, you know, I always want to try to have things be time efficient because we're, we don't all have the time and we're not all professional runners. So, and, and even them are limited on their time. So what's the most important, unfortunately, when you have one injury on one side, the whole chain has to be looked at and addressed at the same time. Otherwise, uh, you're vulnerable. Mm, thanks for that. Um, okay. In terms of um, being able to do this yourself, like let's, so let's say somebody's like, oh yeah, I did kind of have that neck. I do kind of have that neck thing or that shoulder thing. And they're hearing you say this, you know, like, what do you recommend to people? Do you recommend they go in to like a body worker or some sort of, you know, physical, I, I personally really like, like the. I feel like calling them massage therapists is like not the right word. You know what I'm talking about? It's like the more physical therapy type, like massage where they're like yeah, really yeah. getting in there or chiropractors or, you know, physical therapists, like in terms of assessing those kind of things. I mean, obviously like I'm sure they would love to all work with you, but then, you know, let's say somebody's in some other country or something. Like, yeah. what do you recommend in terms of like who they can, you know, find out? And I know it's tough because I'm always like, well, I really like my chiropractor. He's amazing. I don't know if all chiropractors are as knowledgeable as he is. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah. You know, so yeah. where do people start? Well, I think that's kind of the other purpose of the book is, yeah. is to make to make a real improvement and have long-term success. You have to develop the skills to do this on your own. Yeah. And it's it doesn't take much knowledge it just takes sort of awareness and most people have enough awareness to feel that when i pull my right knee to chest my right hip flexor feels a little off compared to my left right or when i do a calf stretch my right calf feels a little tighter right that's kind of the major and the extent of the awareness that you really need to have to start successfully addressing most issues so for me i like to have a movement or a stretch be kind of your home test. Nice. You do this test, you fail the test because it's asymmetrical and you feel that the tension's different. Then you do your intervention, which is the 10 times five pliability work for 75 seconds. And then you retest and see if you made any difference. Most of the time you'll make a difference right then and there. And that will motivate you to do that simple sequence, test intervention, retest every day until you pass that first test when you first wake up out of bed. So for me, I, I like, you know, and in the book, I, I, I there's uh, 20 or so 
movements and it sounds like a lot but again if there's no issues that whole thing will take you no more than two minutes to go through and do 20 stretches right you're just comparing right to left so by having that i would i would kind of in most cases assuming we're talking about repetitive motion injuries not torn muscle uh you know you are otherwise healthy you could probably you can run you know five minutes without pain it's something that accumulates so given that assuming that's the case then i would recommend doing this kind of self-assessment on your own first. See if it's just coming from hypertension and see if simple pliability homework would do the trick. A lot of times it will. And then when you are, if you kind of plateau in or there's certain stubborn areas or areas you can't quite reach, then you can go to the physical, even some good physical therapists, chiropractors will do manual work too, or a good clinical massage therapist. And you can say, hey, here's what's going on. Here's the specific thing that I'm trying to work on. Mm-hmm. Right. And then you can kind of blend that into your own home program. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we're, we're running, a lot of us, we're running every day or, mm-hmm. or four or five times a week. So that's a lot of repetitive motion to counter that. We got to have some sort of other daily skill or awareness or habit. We mm-hmm. can't rely typically on, on a health professional when we're seeing them once, twice, or even three times a week. We can maybe get some insight of where to apply that when we come back home. All yeah, right? so I love for most For these kind of repetitive motion injuries, that's kind of the route I first go. Let's fully explore yourself and then go in with specific issues and specific yeah. questions. Yeah, I love that answer. And I'm and and that's that is exactly how I approach it. You know, sometimes I'm guilty of not checking in, but I I say I probably check in with my body more than 99% of people. I just do it during my meditation time every morning and I just move sure. the way it needs to move and I ask it what it needs and I'm kind of woo woo like that, but it works for me. But um yeah, sometimes okay. I just I'm like I can't figure out what's going on here. <laughs> I need some help here, yeah. but um just so yeah. you guys know, if you're not watching on YouTube, I'm holding up the book. Like the book is like very practical. It's like just, it's a lot of, it's like a picture book. It's like a training book. You know what I mean? It's not like some, just all words. It's like straight into here's what you need to know. And here's what you do. (laughs) So it's a very applicable book. Um, so I, yeah, I appreciate that. And I really appreciate that answer of like, because the other thing is, as you know, I know, you know, but I've also definitely learned is like, yeah, you go into and get a sports massage or whatever, but if you're just repeating that same dysfunctional pattern in your life by sitting crooked in your car every single day, or, yeah. you know, that, you know, hunt shoulder that you do all the time when, because your desk is shaped a certain way or whatever, you're just going to recreate that problem over and over and over and over. So the self-awareness tool that you're giving people is really awesome because you go over that in the book as well as like, here's some things to examine in your regular everyday life that you might not be aware of that it caused these kind of problems. So yeah. Super and with runners and runners specifically wearing the, or carrying the phone on one arm or in one hand or running in cambered roads, like a lot of people, more rural settings are on the cambered roads all the time or running on the track, the same direction all the time. Uh, those are also kind of more just running postural stuff that starts to have an influence on your holistic posture and your gait too, not just, you know, your work or, or, or other habits. But, but yeah, those are, those are, those all come together for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, remember I used to be running on the roads all the time when I was training for marathons and you know, the road would be slightly slanted. If yeah. you're on the the black part kind of out in the middle of nowhere, I'm like, I can't be on, I can't be on this, you know, cause it's just, you know, if you're running on that tilt for, you know, 15 miles, it's not going to be super great. 
It's not a, it's not ideal, but if you have worked on your pliability, you you're an athlete. You can handle a lot without <laughs> issue. <laughs> okay, I I have one more uh kind of big question for you. Okay, so yeah. I know for you, I'm sh- assuming. Well, maybe I'm I'm assuming, but. For me, sometimes I see people running out, you know, on the street or whatever, and you, you can just kind of tell what's going on inside and in, in their body. Like inhib, I see a lot of like inhib inhibition in the hips, right? Like the legs are barely moving, or maybe they're going really vertical, or you know, things like that. Um, in terms of like, because you work with mostly distance runners or all, do you do sprinters and long distance? Have you worked with yeah, both? Most, most mostly distance. 80%, okay. 90% distance. I certainly have worked with sprinters and, and uh, explosive sports, uh, soccer, lacrosse, basketball. Um, I've worked with those folks, but those are 10 to 20%. Okay. Okay. Perfect. So distance runners, you know, what do they need to know in terms of, cause like when you're running distance, like the gate, the, the, your running form is different than when you're sprinting full out. So could you talk about healthy, uh, form for lack of a better word for distance runners, you know, things that they want to look for. Well, I guess, I don't know. I'm kind of hung up on that last bit there because I see them with runners and I don't like it. They, I see them go and they do their stride or they do their little short sprint and it looks very different from their normal stride. And I think a big reason is because in their head, they, it is a, it's a difference. This is me running distance and this is me sprinting. Mm. Where if you practice running fast with less uh, effort and less kind of strain and good posture, then you can start to explore all those speeds in between. And now your normal distance stride becomes more powerful and more efficient and mm-hmm. faster. And, and so it's, it's something, and you'd be surprised, like I go out and I have distance runners run at top speed for me, uh, you know, just for a few seconds, but they build up to it and they accelerate running top speed. Say, so, okay, now run top speed without moving your arms with the relaxed hand and your jaws dropped and relaxed too, right? Mm. Don't forget to go fast. Right. So you have to do both things. Everything above the waist is faking it. You're just feel like it's, it's you're cruising, but down below you're still going almost just as fast. And so I think that's something that I think all runners, if you do the work and you get your body healthy with pliability and you've good kind of foundational strength. And I put strength stuff in there as well, like basic strength, but good stability throughout the hip and the core. And that's there. Then we have range of motion through our pliability. We don't have to do much stretching if we have good pliability. So we have good range of motion and we have good power through the strength work. So now we can go out and run different kinds of workouts at different speeds. And if you do that over the course of four to six months, look at your gait then compared to what it was six months prior and compare that approach to anything else that I might tell you about your stride, go run like this or like this. It's more, let's build an athletic body, no matter what age from the ground up. And then start to diversify your training and see where you are in six weeks. And and the gap between those two shouldn't be that difference, except for, of course, range of motion. Your knee's not going to be as high when you're going, you know, seven-minute pace versus five-minute pace or eight-minute pace versus whatever it may be. But the foundational stuff is still going to be there. You should still be athletic, and it should still look light off the ground, right? Those are things that we want to have. 
Mm. I love that answer. No, I love that answer. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. And I love that you're um, encouraging, you know, some basic strength training. My original um, Instagram account in health was called lift and run because I had gone from, I, I always ran and ran marathons, but I wasn't lifting weights. And when I got into lifting weights, I shaved a half hour off of my PR qualified for the Boston marathon. Like it just completely transformed my running. So I, you know, appreciate what you're saying there. Cause I'm like, yeah, I lived through that. It was, I, I mean, I just became a better athlete by far from having some of yeah. the basic strength to take me yeah. through. And, yeah. And you, you found that out through the strength work. Some folks don't, and they find that out because they do a more advanced training program and they're going out there and they have the innate ability to go and run fast, but they've never really done much of it. Uh, and so when you start to do more of it, then you start to get that similar kind of strength that you, you got through the gym. So most, mm-hmm. most people, I think, you know, when they do it later in life, they have to go through the exercises to realize the power that's there. And then they have to apply it to their running. Some folks, it just happens through the training, but, but yeah, that's the, that's the differentiator from amateurs to elites. It's the power in your stride. It's not stride frequency. We're all doing 170, 180. Even at the Olympic finals, they're running 170, 180. It's how long is that stride? How powerful is that stride? Can you absorb that kind of power with good, healthy muscle and soft tissue? And then, of course, do you have the ability to generate that much power? So, so yeah, you put those two together with kind of the pliability, flexibility, and the strength. And then you start to, you know, peel away the layers and kind of see what your long-term potential is. It all has to be very, and should be very gradual. Um, you know, every kind of four months is a new sort of block. And you're just very gradually, it's like once a week, you'll try to do a little something different and new, but the other ones, it's all maintenance and making sure you recovered well from that new thing that you did last week. Mm. Well, I appreciate you sharing the message with the masses coming from, you know, you're very niche into this world of, you know, running coaching and and all sorts of levels and some of the highest levels. And you're coming out and you're saying, Hey, you need to focus on pliability because it matters. And here's all the really practical stuff that you need to know in order to achieve that. And I really appreciate that message. And I'm sure this will have me foam rolling and doing all sorts of pliability stuff (laughs) more regularly. So if we're on a personal level, I appreciate the push as well. Um, and we'll link this up in the show notes, guys. Again, it's called pliability for runners, um, by Joseph McConkie MS. We will, it's on Amazon, correct? It's on yeah. Amazon? Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Anywhere is, else, yeah. Amazon's probably the easiest place for people to get it anywhere else. You want to direct people. It is a lot of places. I don't know. The publishers did something. <laughs> it's all over the place, but it's definitely it's all over Amazon. the place. Okay. Okay. Cool. We will, we will link that up. Thank you again so much. And okay. um, Thanks, yeah, hope you guys get the book. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Bye. All right. Thank you. Appreciate it.